Hi folks, Jack Spirico here with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's beautiful changing world, the changing times, the things that we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't, coming to you once again from Arlington, Texas, it is April 29, 2010. This is episode 427 of the Survival Podcast, and it is a Thursday. It's a windy, cold Thursday outside today. Not cold, cold. Some of you guys up north would be angry at me, but it's like in the 50s, and since it was like 85 yesterday, it feels cold. Uh, but uh, we have some storms coming in. Nothing I think that's going to be too severe. We'll keep an eye out for tornadoes today and tomorrow, but I think most of the action is going to be east of us. So what are we going to talk about today other than the weather? We're going to talk about the economic shell game continuing and a little bit of the politics that goes in there with it and how it's being done. I just was sitting back last night thinking about today's show, and I decided, you know what, it's been a long time. It's been a long time since we really dug into a deep pile of steaming bullshit on the economy and on the uh, political front. We've talked about it a little bit, but we haven't dug into the real shenanigans that are going on, the nonsense and the things that no one tells anybody about, or if they do, they gloss over it on the surface and nobody really holds anybody accountable to it. I don't mean accountable by dragging them in front of Congress and yelling and screaming at them the way that all of our illustrious Congress people just did with the Goldman Sachs folks, shaking their fingers. You did this, right? While they were as much a part of it as anybody else. Um, no, I mean uh, people just simply being aware so that maybe they can make a little bit more intelligent decisions going forward. Before we do that, though, let's go ahead and take care of our sponsors. They do a lot to help take care of you. Sponsor the day number one, Sawtooth Tactical. Sawtooth Tactical is really cool. they got really tactical stuff. Uh, they have just about anything you could look for from that tactical mindset. Really good stuff from people like uh, Magpaul and uh, Maxpedition. So check out Sawtooth today. Really cool stuff again. Really great people to do business with. Uh, you get personal service there from someone who really cares about making sure that you get everything you expected from a service and from a product standpoint. Next up today is the Berkey guy at Directive21.com. I love the Berkey guy. Why? Because he provides Berkey light water filtration systems, which allow us to make the cleanest, best drinking water available in our own homes. The Berkey guy is also running a contest this month. I got a couple of emails from people yesterday. Please enter me in the contest, Jack. Can't do it that way, folks. You gotta go to our forum, look in the Berkey guy's individual sponsors forum that he has, and, uh, in that forum, you will see a thread where you can find out how to register for his contest. He's giving away a whole bunch of free Berkey stuff, so make sure you register for that because it ends Friday, I guess, because Friday's the 30th, the last day of the month, and it was just for this month. So you got two days, or one and a half days, I guess, if you look at it that way, to go ahead and get entered in that contest. And maybe you can win some free Berkey stuff. Next up, remember to check out the Survival Podcast Gear Shop for shat, uh, sh shats. What is a shat? Uh, that sounds bad, right? Shirts and hats. A <laughs> shat would be a, a shirt with a hat sewed onto it. We don't have those. We have shirts. We have hats. We have patches. We have other cool stuff coming, so check out the Survival Podcast Gear Shop. You can find that with a link right off our main website at www.thesurvivalpodcast.com. Dot com. Last but not least, consider joining the Members Support Brigade. Do that. You'll get exclusive content available only to members. I'll leave it at that for today. I talk about it enough. I don't need to turn any show into an infomercial for it. But I do appreciate your support of the show at about 20 cents an episode. That said, last night I did a guest appearance on Christy Sijikowski's show uh, called Truth Brigade Radio. I will put a link to the archive of that show uh, today, and on that show I ran a special for the MSB. I'm not going to tell you what it was. I'm just going to tell you it was really good, and if you listen to that episode, in that episode, you will hear the special discount code for MSB, and you can get a really great deal. Again, I'll put a link to the archive version as soon as it's available, and I will let that special run through the weekend. So there you go. I'm not going to tell you what it is. You've got to go find it, but it's probably the best one I've ever done. All right, with that said, let's go ahead and get into the main topic of today's show. And again, what I want to talk about is the continuation of the economic, and with economics in this country, of course, politics follow it, 
the shell game. I want to start out with something that's been big news that people are talking about a lot. And, of course, the people that have done it are actually very proud of themselves, and they're running a television commercial. It's our folks over at GM, General Motors, or I guess as we should call them today, since they're still over 60% held by the government, Government Motors. Um, they just recently ran a commercial. Instead of telling you what they said in that commercial, let me play the audio for you, and I'll put a link to YouTube where you can, uh, you can see this commercial for yourself if you haven't seen it or heard it yet. I'm Ed Whitaker from General Motors. A lot of Americans didn't agree with giving GM a second chance. Quite frankly, I can respect that. We want to make this a company all Americans can be proud of again. That's why I'm here to announce we have repaid our government loan in full with interest, five years ahead of the original schedule. But there's still more to do. Our goal is to exceed every expectation you've set for us. We're putting people back to work, designing, building, and selling the best cars and trucks in the world. With our 100,000-mile five-year powertrain warranty to guarantee the quality and the unmatched life-saving technology of OnStar to help keep you safe. From new energy solutions to the designs of tomorrow, we invite you to take a look at the new GM. Now, that sounds great, doesn't it? Really? I mean, doesn't that sound wonderful? GM paid back their loan five years early, and they did it with interest. Lots of interest. I mean, they borrowed billions, but they paid us back an extra couple hundred million. Isn't that great? If only it were true. I mean, did GM really pay their loan back? Let me, uh, <clears throat> I've got a, uh, a little article here from iowapolitics.com, and the title of the article is, U.S. Senator Grassley works to establish facts behind the claim that GM repaid its TARP loan. Yeah, let's, let's take a look at this and what the senator's saying. In fact, it's a relatively short article, so let me just read it to you. Senator Chuck Grassley today continued to peel back the layers of taxpayer obligations behind last week's claim and fanfare about General Motors repaying its multi-billion dollar loan from the troubled asset relief program, the $700 billion taxpayer-funded bailout. Last week, Grassley asked the tre Treasury Secretary why the administration has allowed GM to use money from an escrow account at the Treasury to repay this loan, allowing an elaborate TARP money shuffle. In a floor speech this afternoon, Grassley said the response he received today from the Treasury Department confirmed that taxpayers funded the loan repayment by way of cash that GM has because of their federal government originally loaned the cash to GM, and then the federal government agreed to forgive some of GM's debt during the bankruptcy in exchange for stock in the company, the value of which is uncertain. The bottom line is that the repayment was made on the dime of the taxpayers across America. It's misleading to say that GM repaid its TARP loans in full with interest ahead of schedule because more customers are buying GM cars, uh, Grassley said. Taxpayers remain on the hook. Thanks to a failed deal cut by the government to try to save GM from bankruptcy, now GM has pulled an additional $6.6 billion out of the escrow account, but has left unpaid a $2.5 billion, 9% loan to the Union Health Benefit Fund. Here is the April 19, 2010 request from GM to the Treasury Department asking for the distribution to GM of the entire amount of reserve funds. Grassley said the American people deserve straightforward information about what's happening with TARP and the tax dollars being used by the Treasury Department to manage what the government has taken over from the private sector. The situation hasn't been described in a candid way, and that's added insult to injury after more than a year of bailouts and a record-level record deficit spending. Grassley concluded that the oversight of the Treasury Department's management of TARP has gone to bat for Special Inspector General for TARP when the administration has put up barriers to the Inspector General determining where the money has gone. The Iowa Senator has criticized the lack of transparency on how the TARP funds have been used. Last fall, he co-sponsored legislation in the program. So, I guess I'll leave it there, but basically what happened is the GM took money that was given to them by the government from one pot, moved the government's money, which of course is the government has no money, so our money, over to the, the we owe money for the direct loan pot, 
then gave the money back to the government and said, gee, look, we're doing so well, we paid off our loan early and we paid, off, paid it off with interest. Well, let's leave out the part how using our own money to pay us back, they saved the five years worth of interest that they were supposed to pay. Where did this money come from? Well, it's kind of strange. See, what people don't understand is we didn't completely bail out GM. We actually bought about 60% of them. When we bought their stock, which was absolutely worthless and no one else would touch it at the time, a bunch of money that we bought their stock with as a country went into an escrow account for them. So basically we said, okay, GM, here we're buying your stock. Here's a bunch of cash. You don't get all the cash. Some of it sits in an escrow account. And if you need it, you can withdraw it as you need it. GM, after a while of you know going through bankruptcy and hiding a lot of hiding that money from people like the union workers that are supposed to have their health care services bailed out, which they're not paying on, said now that we've gotten through the bankruptcy, we don't have to deal with the courts making us spend the money anymore. How about you gives us some of that money out of the escrow account, and we'll pay you back with your own money? And the Fed says, sure, here you go, take the money, pay it back. It gets deeper than that. Let me go into kind of a, uh, a blogger here and his perspective on it. So here's, the, let me uh, find this for you real quick. I want to read you about these four paragraphs of this guy's post. It's pretty, pretty good stuff. So how's it paying, so how is it paying it? As it turns out, the Obama administration put 13.4 billion of the aid money as working capital into an escrow account when the company was in bankruptcy. The company is using this escrow money, government money, government money to pay back the government loan. A lot of government in there, isn't it? GM claims the fact that it is even using the escrow money to pay back the loan instead of using it uh, all to shore up it itself shows that it's on its way to recovery. That actually would be a positive development, although hardly one worth hyping in ads and columns if it were not a further plot twist. Sean Mc... I can't read the guy's last name. Chief economist for Ann Arbor-based Center of Automotive Research points out, the company has applied to the Department of Energy for a $10 billion low-interest loan to retool its plants and meet the government's tougher new CAFE standards, which are the corporate average fuel economy standards. However, giving GM more taxpayer money on top of the existing bailout would have been a political disaster for the Obama administration and a PR debacle for the company. Paying back the small bailout loan makes the new bigger DOE loan much more feasible. In short, GM is using government money to pay back government money to get more government money and at a 2% lower interest rate at that. This is a nifty scheme to refinance GM's government debt, not pay it back. So here's what's happened. We, GM is in the hawk for the government. They owe us their soul, and we own them, and we control them, because we bailed them out with billions of dollars. The interest rate's a tad high. So when we really unpeel this, they want money from the Department of Energy to retool their plants. So, you know, the Obama administration says, hey, can't do it, guys. You're a poison bill right now. We give you this loan, it's going to look really bad. GM says, hey, look, I know what we'll do. You know that escrow money? Give us the escrow money, and we'll pay the loan back with it. So that will be the headline. On the back end, you give us the $10 billion. We don't really need $10 billion. We need 4 right? But we paid the 6 back, so it's a net gain of 4 for us. But on top of it all, we cut our interest rates by two points, and we pay the taxpayers back less. And the Obama administration says what? Sounds like a plan. And then the Obama administration looks at this and says, you know, this is going to come out really good for us. And what happens is your tax dollars, folks, your tax dollars, paid for the commercial that you heard before this segment started. So the GM could go out and say what a great job they've done, how they've paid us back with hundreds of millions of dollars of interest added on top of it, saved us money, and are reinvigorating General Motors. Now, some people are saying that people that are criticizing this just want GM to fail. That's not me, folks. GM has already failed. Okay? Plain and simple. GM failed. It went bust. It went bankrupt. Of course they're going to come out of this and not go away and disappear from the earth. We gave them, it's like $45 billion in total relief. 
I can save just about anything other than the Social Security system with $45 billion. Of course they're going to come back. And don't you guys that haven't listened to me for a long time think this is partisan and I'm just picking on poor Obama. Because who was the ass clown that started this thing and gave these people the money first? The first bailout to these people came from who? George W. Bush. What I'm saying, folks, is there ain't a tad bit of difference between the last administration and this one on making these deals, playing these games with your money, and telling you that they've done you a favor. It's been going on a long time. There's a pattern of behavior here. Let's move on to something else. What does this sound like? It sounds like something that I told you about that I don't think very many other people ever said anything about. That went on back around Christmas time that involved a little company that we come to know and affectionately love is City. City Group, C-I-T-I, is their, uh, is their you know, logo. Now, City also paid us back, man. They, they made good on their debt, at least a big portion of it, and they're on their way to be completely off of the TARP funds. In fact, it's, it's profitable for the American people, is what we've been told. Kudos to the Washington Post. Because they're the only mainstream media outlet that I saw that ran this story, but they ran it in one little segment. They never talked about it again. No one picked up on it. I don't even think any of the right-wing conservative talk show hosts out there picked up on it. Nobody over at the Huffington Post, who I'm going to give some kudos on another thing today for, had the guts to talk about this. And you know damn well if somebody with a different letter after their name and R instead of a D would have done this, it would have been everywhere. So if you haven't heard it before, what am I talking about? Well, let me read you a little bit of the article. Again, this is from December 16, 2009, under the uh, the ship being captained, captained by President Barack Obama. But again, the money loaned to these people in the first place, the deal cut by former President George Bush. Right? U.S. gave up billions in tax money in a deal for Citigroup's bailout repayment. The federal government agreed to forego billions of dollars in potential tax payments for Citigroup as part of a deal announced this week to wean the company from a massive taxpayer bailout that helped it survive the financial crisis. The Internal Revenue Service, love those guys, on Friday issued an exception to a long-standing tax rules for the benefit of Citigroup and a few other companies partially owned by the government. As a result, Citigroup will be allowed to retain billions of dollars worth of tax breaks that otherwise would decline in value when the government sells its stake to private investors. What does that mean? That means that we bought into Citigroup, and the IRS cut them a break and said, hey, look, we don't want you paying us. You're going to pay the government, which is us anyway. So here's the deal. There's a big tax break in this for you. But instead of paying it as taxes, you use that money to pay back the money that you owe. <laughs> Do you get it again, folks? Your money being used to pay back your money, and then you're turned around and told this is a profit for the American people. Really nice, isn't it? Continuing on with another part of the article. While the Obama administration has said taxpayers are likely to profit from the sale of the Citigroup shares, accounting experts said the lost tax revenue could easily outstrip those profits. So all that's saying is, hey, look, the government's telling you, hey, we cut this deal. Yeah, they get a tax break, but we're going to sell, we're going to make a profit. And what the experts that look at the value of the stock and the value of the taxes, and the taxes aren't paid just this year, they're paid every year, over and over and over again, when the company returns to profitability. The way this deal was supposed to work is they get the break. They get the tax break until the government divests themselves of Citigroup. Once they're completely privately held again and on their own, the tax break goes away because the tax break was only to help them pay the money back. Okay? Which was already a shell game. Now they cut this sweetheart deal and they get to keep this thing for over a decade. Ten years of profits subject to this tax reduction. Really nice, isn't it? That that's what they're doing with your money and telling you how well it's worked out for you. Another little piece of this article. The government is consciously forfeiting future tax revenues. It's another form of assistance, maybe not as obvious as the direct assistance, but certainly another form, said Robert Willens, an expert on, the tax, on tax accounting, who runs a firm of the same name. I've been doing taxes for almost 40 years, and I've never seen anything like this, where the IRS and Treasury acted unilaterally on so many fronts. So what they're saying is basically... The IRS and the Federal Reserve are in cahoots. 
They're working together to further a political agenda. Really nice. Treasury officials said the most recent change was part of a broader decision initially made last year to shelter companies that accepted federal aid under the Troubled Asset Relief Program from the normal consequences of such an investment. Officials also said the ruling benefited taxpayers because it made the shares of Citigroup more valuable and asserted that that without ruling. Without the ruling, Citigroup could not have repaid the government at this time. All right, so here's what they're saying. Yeah, we loaned the money, but see, it's okay, because it makes their stock worth more. So we can sell the stock that we've artificially inflated in value for a better return, and if we didn't do it, we wouldn't have got the money back that we're not getting back. I mean, it's cut and dry. You guys can read the rest of this article for yourself. I just wanted to show you the pattern of behavior here. There's very little real difference in the way that this deal was worked with Citigroup and the way the recent deal was worked with General Motors, except that General Motors is better known. Uh, they have that, you know, that Chevy brand that people have an affinity for, and because of that, instead of Citigroup would have came out with a commercial back in December and said, we've repaid our loan. Somebody would have dug this out. Somebody would have slammed these guys. And more than just a little aside on Fox News and one angry Republican senator, this would have been everywhere. Even the people over at the Huffington Post, if they would have thrown it in their face that much, would have done something about this and said something about this and made it known. But because it was kind of done a little bit differently and nobody shoved it in anybody's face and they just said, hey, look, it worked, everybody gave them a pass. I said today you're getting a steaming pile of bullshit, folks. I didn't lie. That's exactly what we're looking at. Well, what if I told you that there were hidden bailouts? Bailouts that you don't even know about. Bailouts that have been done in ways, I mean, because we're supposed to be having financial reform. And the financial reform bill we'll talk about in a minute, but it would do absolutely nothing to curtail the nonsense that's going on right now that's bankrupting cities and states all across America through bonds and through what's called an interest swap. So, there's a great little video on YouTube. Uh, it's probably better if you watch the video, but I'm going to go ahead and play the audio of it for you now before I go deeper into this, because I, I think it will help give you an initial understanding of how this works and why it's a hidden bailout for the banks. Everybody knows about the taxpayer-funded bailout Wall Street banks got in 2008, but most people don't know about the giant bailout banks are currently raking in from taxpayers across the country. All over the U.S., banks have locked states into costly, complicated agreements that are hard to cancel. And it's important to understand, because it's our tax dollars paying for it, and it's causing states and cities to slash critical services that we depend on. One of the biggest ways Wall Street banks do this is with something called an interest rate swap. Here's a guide to help you be an expert on interest rate swaps in 90 seconds. Okay, states sell IOUs called bonds to people and businesses with the promise to pay them back with interest over a certain period of time. States use that money to pay for important services like roads, police, and schools. Now, the interest rates that states pay on bonds can vary. Usually when the economy's bad, interest rates go up. The prospect of rising interest made state and local governments a little nervous, so Wall Street banks made them an offer they couldn't refuse. If the governments agreed to pay the banks a flat fee, just a little higher than the current interest rate, the banks would take over interest payments. Then came the bank-fueled economic collapse. You might have expected bond interest rates to skyrocket, but the Fed stepped in and cut them to all-time lows. Lower interest rates should have helped states and cities keep providing critical services during the crisis. But they couldn't take advantage of the discount rates because they were locked into their contract with the big banks. Now the banks are making huge profits on the tens, sometimes hundreds of millions of dollars in fees they're collecting and paying almost nothing on the state's bonds. For California alone, the bogus bank deals are costing taxpayers more than $130 million a year. Now some of these bank deals are secret, so we don't know how many of our tax dollars are being sucked up but the estimate is around $28 billion nationwide. These deals are part of the reason so many states are running out of money. They're slashing education and public safety funding just to make payments to Wall Street banks. And what are the banks doing with that money? Paying themselves huge bonuses and compensation, more than $150 billion in 2009 alone. So there you have it. It's basically a second bailout for the big banks. And it's happening right now with our tax dollars. That's why we're calling on the big banks to stop holding cities and states hostage and let them either renegotiate their contracts or cancel them outright. You can get involved online and in your community. Go to seiu.org slash big banks to take action right now. 
Okay, and as they say, politics makes strange bedfellows, and I'm not really happy with um, the SEIU, which is the Service Employees uh, International Union. I don't think these guys are our friends, and uh, I do question anything that, that comes out of them, but in this instance, they're absolutely correct. This is exactly what happened. And, uh, of course, they want the money freed up because a lot of the SEIU employees are government employees and local government. So that's their agenda. It doesn't mean they're wrong about what's going on. And I think the one thing that could have made their video a little bit more clear, and don't go to SEIU.whatever and, and help these people because it's like helping the, the thief steal from another thief if you work with those folks as far as I'm concerned. But... What what they're actually what I think would have made it more clear is if they would have put a few numbers on this to make it uh, mathematically make a little sense to you. So let me do that now. Let's say that I am the city of Dallas and I have bonds and the bonds are ha part of how I fund the city, not just taxes but also bonds. And I write these bonds and I basically loan money to private citizens, to companies, to uh, foreign governments. Anybody that wants to invest in the city of Dallas can buy a bond in the city of Dallas. And let's say that today, right now, when I'm selling my bonds, it's a five percent interest rate. But there's variable interest on the bond, which means when the times get really tough, a lot of times instead of having artificially low interest rates, what generally happens if the Fed doesn't manipulate things is interest rates go up. So let's say the economy is starting to tank, and this is 2007, 2008. The interest on the, on the bond goes from 5 to 6. So now all of the outstanding loans that I have as a city of Dallas have just increased in expense. It costs me more money to keep the money that I'm using to run the city now. And if I want more money, I have to sell new bonds, and I have to sell them at the new interest rate. So in comes a bank, the First World Bank, we'll call it, right? First World Bank, fictitious organization, says, Jack, you're the, the, the chief uh, economic guy for the city of Dallas. We'd like to make a deal with you. Current interest rates are 6%. We, we know they're going to keep running up, and you can't afford that, but you can afford a little bit more. So here's what we'll do for you. We'll take over the, the, the bonds. You pay us 6.5% or 7%, a little bit higher than you're already paying, but you're going to hedge against them going to 9 We'll be responsible for the delta. You see, this is gambling. This is a derivative on a bond, folks. That's what this really is. So the bank takes all these bonds in, $28 billion worth of bonds. All the banks do this together throughout the United States. They take all these bonds and they hedge that bet. Then the banks themselves cause an economic meltdown. The Federal Reserve, who is made up of who? The banks, steps in and artificially pushes interest rates down. So now that, that loan that the, the city of Dallas was paying at 6% is now being paid off at 4 and the bank is charging the city 7 and making the three-point spread for doing nothing, except assuming the risk. But how big a risk is it when it was the big banks doing this that have seats on the Federal Reserve, that can control the interest rates, and they got TARP money? So how did they fund this in the interim was by taking your tax money through the TARP program to bail out their stupidity then forced interest rates down to zero, damn near, and then profit all the way to Wall Street, once again funded by, by you and me, the tax-paying Americans. Isn't it great? Do you realize the level of manipulation and bullshit? And do you think financial reform that they're talking about now is going to fix this? No, nah, well, we'll get to that in a minute, because i got another hidden bailout for you next. The next hidden bailout is just, it's just really easy to understand. And it's just simply those low interest rates. Let's look at it this way. The Federal Reserve is made up of the biggest banks in the world. The biggest banks in the world are in the business of being banks. They loan money. When they loan money, they create new money because they loan at a 9 to 1 ratio. So by the time they take $10,000 in, they loan out 100 which they're charging interest on. Can't go deep into that today. Just understand that. The banks counterfeit money legally through what's called a fractional reserve process. You go in, you deposit $10,000. They loan out nine of your $10,000 immediately, as quick as they can. They charge interest on the loan. That $9,000 goes into the economy eventually. It gets paid out as wages. It gets paid to somebody somewhere, and it goes back into the bank. Okay, But it came from the bank. So now there's 19000 
So now the new $9,000 generates a new loan of about the $8,100. That $8,100 goes into circulation, eventually ends up back in the bank, and then they loan, and it keeps building. This is a pyramid scam that the fractional reserve system is. Not making it up, go to the Federal Reserve website yourself, look up, this is how banks run today. So the banks that use money to make money, and not the way you do, where you invest in a stock, and if it goes up 10%, you make 10% that year, they use money to actually create new money out of thin air. Go into a situation where, by creating a catastrophe, and then getting all their problems solved with your tax money, they're able to, at the same time, justify pushing interest rates down to almost nothing, so they have a, 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 a pool of money now that they can go get for next to nothing and use it to do what? Make more money. This artificially low interest rate has become a slush fund for the banks of the world who created the catastrophe in the first place by playing their, their casino games with derivatives against real estate. Who is responsible, though? Your government. Because the biggest catastrophe in real estate, the biggest losses in real estate came where? Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac which was run and overseen by your government. And don't tell me it's not your government. We've had that conversation before. It's my government, too. All right? Because even though we don't want these clowns, they still work for us, and we're still paying their bills. We're paying for those congressional clowns to have personal uh, hairstylists in the hall, underneath the, the, the floor of the Congress, and having their own personal gas tank to fill up their cars with when they leave. Underground. That's true. That's not a conspiracy. That's what these clowns have. You're paying for that, so they're yours. They're responsible to you, even though they don't act like it. They're, they're like spoiled, rotten kids that are pissing away our money. This is another example of how. So we now you got to understand this. Federal Reserve is made up of the banks. The Federal Reserve pushes the interest rate low when the banks need the interest rate low to solve all their problems. What happens, though, is that now... Since more money is flowing into circulation, even though it's at a lower interest rate, you have to understand that every dollar that exists in the world is not money. It's debt. You pull a dollar out of your pocket right now, and it's debt for, let's say, a dollar and ten cents back by the time everything's over with. So when they push the interest rate down, and the money flows at a higher rate, it increases the money supply, so it increases the United States federal debt. If you look at the money supply and our public on-the-books debt, they run almost identically. The more money, the more debt. Why? One is the other. They're the same thing. No one understands this. So what they're doing is they're using this catastrophe to put the nation into greater debt. All the spending bills are nonsense. That's just what they're doing with the money. The money's already been created. They're just spending it. You didn't think they were going to give it to you, did you? Did you? That's what's going on. They created the money with the low interest rates and the fractional reserves and bailing out the problems to keep the, the floor from falling out from underneath it. Once the money showed up, the government said, hey, we've got to do something with this. We need to put it in the circulation by more than one channel. So let's do it through more spending. But where does that spending get us? Deeper in debt. That's these trillion-dollar deficits that you're hearing about. That's where they really come from. But, folks, don't worry. Obama and the big government up there is working hard together, and Democrats and Republicans just reached a compromise because the Republicans were the party of no. We were just spoiled and angry and mean, and we were blocking the financial services reform bill. But they're, they've reached a compromise now, and they're going to start debating it, and they're going to come out, and they're going to save us from all of this hoopla and nonsense. Well, I told you I was going to give kudos to the Huffington Post today. There's a gentleman over there, and his name is Frank Luntz. And I'm sure I don't agree with a lot of Mr. Luntz's politics, but when you get it right, you get it right. This is his article. I'm going to read uh, probably most of it to you because it's a pretty good article. It's not real long. And it is called, Why the Dodd Financial Services Bill is Bad, dot, 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 for Democrats. 
The New York Times headline said it all. Off Wall Street worries about the financial bill. The Democrats in Washington may think it's a slam dunk, but the rest of America doesn't agree. Look, those who are on the side of significant financial reform are fighting on the side of the angels and with broad public support. We are fed up with Wall Street abuses and arrogance that makes life for the rest of us on Main Street more difficult. Let's hold people and businesses more accountable and responsible for what they do and how they do it. But that doesn't suddenly equate to support for legislation now being considered by the Senate in exactly the same way that the public wanted health care reform. Just not Obama's health care reform. They wanted something done to punish the perpetrators of the financial meltdown, but not at the expense of their own checking accounts or American economic freedom. The dirty secret of the Senate financial reform bill is that some of its biggest supporters work on Wall Street. Recipients of taxpayer bailout money have no concerns about the bill. In fact, the CEOs of Citi and Goldman Sachs have publicly endorsed it. And several other big banks have expressed support. It keeps too-big-to-fail guarantees in place for another generation of financial service companies. But here's where it gets really interesting. The Democrats supporting the current legislation have assured an anxious electorate that whatever funds are used to create whatever regulatory scheme created will come from banks, not taxpayers. Let me emphasize that so that even casual readers will catch it. The Democrats promise that you won't pay for their legislation. Banks will. Really? Since when have corporations ever paid taxes, fees, or penalties? Employees end up paying in the form of lower salaries and benefits. This guy's going to convert to, a, to at least a libertarian, if not a Republican, someday, because he's got too much intelligence. Consumers end up paying in the form of higher costs. I think that's what libertarians have always said. And in this case, every account holder will be forced to pay higher fees on their checking account and savings account. That's you, my friendly reader. Can you say checkbook tax? I can, and I think lots of candidates will be saying it come November. Is that what you really want to do with your constituents, Senator Lincoln? Is that what you really want to explain on the campaign trail, Senator Burnett? But it goes deeper than just taxation and regulation. Wall Street can pass it all on to consumers. Main Street cannot, and that's because Wall Street firms have all those pesky, well-connected, nicely-dressed lobbyists that ensure whatever is passed strengthens their hand at the expense of the little guy. Regardless of what side you're on, the financial reform bill is a special interest heaven. A bill written by lobbyists for lobbyists and will probably be implemented by lobbyists. The Dodd bill has carve-outs right from the get-go. Real estate agents, title companies, the farm credit system, even Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac are exempt from its onerous and costly provisions. So we're going to reform the financial sector, folks. My commentary here for a second. And we're going to fix the problems that created this disaster. But the two entities that are most responsible for the crash, the two entities that held over half the mortgages at the consumer level in America, the two entities that loan the most money to the people who we could do would never pay it back. The two entities who financed tremendous numbers of very powerful people in our government in return for provisions that made them able to do this nonsense are exempt from the financial services law. Isn't that great? And for back to the article. And for everyone else, it's been a special interest feeding frenzy. More than 130 companies have publicly hired lobbyists seeking their own loophole. Mars Candy wants to continue to use derivatives, nice, huh, to hedge against the price hikes in sugar and chocolate. So they hired a lobbyist. Harley Davidson wants to protect dealer financing on their bikes, so they've hired a lobbyist. eBay wants to not harm its subsidiary PayPal, so they hired, well, a team of lobbyists. But most average Americans, the ones who bailed Wall Street out in the first place, can't afford lobbyists and won't be exempted from the legislation. There's a reason why American trust of government is at an all-time low. Voters believe legislation like this is passed not for public interest, but for special interest. And, there's, and that is certainly the case with the Dodd bill. Senator Dodd has bragged that his legislation will create a new super regulatory agency like we've not seen before, and with good reason. 
Every single financial transaction will now be subject to government regulation. From layaway plans to auto loans, Citibank and Goldman Sachs don't have to worry about that, but Joe's Furniture and Jane's used car dealership do. I've said it before, I'll say it again. It's not what you say, it's what people hear. Democrats believe they have a winning issue in the financial reform because it gives them the vehicle to attack Wall Street. Well, they're right, but they're only right now. The American people, once again, hearing the same old song for more taxation, more regulation, and more litigation, all because of well-intentioned, you read that correctly, but poorly executed legislation. They will reject this approach just as they came to reject the health care reform legislation even after the vote. Democrats, especially those in conservative districts were, districts, were promised a bounce if they voted for Obamacare. We didn't even see a dead cat bounce. Just ask Blanche Lincoln, but you better ask her quickly. I love that little stab in there. Instead, voters have been inundated with information such as the recent HHS memo that confirmed what opponents of the legislation were saying. The bill will not reduce spending or the deficit after all. Voters will soon find financial reform bill won't end bailouts. It will enshrine them into law. And the rest is kind of political, so I'll leave it there at the last part of the ref out. So there you go. This is from the haven of Obama, the Huffington Post. Do we enshrine Obama, Huffington Post? The everything that liberals do is good and everything conservatives do is bad, Huffington Post. And kudos to this gentleman, Frank Luntz, for stepping out and saying things the way they really are here. That's the financial services bill. Now, I wanted to know what's actually in this freaking bill. So I went and found a summary of it. And we're going to talk a little bit about some of the things that the summary says is in the bill. And since it's a summary prepared by our government, as you can imagine, it doesn't sound that bad on the surface. I won't go through the whole thing because even a summary is long. By the way, the actual bill that's going to be debated and chopped up and amended and added to its base, 1,100 pages of bullshit. 1,100 pages to supposedly fix a few things. One, it says consumer protections with authority and independence creates a new independent watchdog housed at the Federal Reserve with the authority to ensure American consumers get the clear, accurate information they need to shop for mortgages, credit cards, and other financial products that protects them from hidden fees, abusive terms, and deceptive practices. Sounds really great, doesn't it? Sounds really absolutely great to protect us from hidden fees, abusive terms, and deceptive practices. But let me read the first line again creates a new independent watchdog, independent, housed at the Federal Reserve. So the Federal Reserve, made up by the banks, is being put in charge of policing the banks. Old cliche you might have heard from your granddaddy, like the fox watching the hen house. So even when they're trying to make this sound good, um, come on, man, it's just... Federal bank supervision, another provision, streamlines, streamlines bank supervision to create clarity and accountability, protects the dual banking system that supports community banks. Code words. Protects the big banks that loan money to and support the little banks. Isn't that great? That's what, they're, that's what this thing does. Ends too big to fail. This is the one that sounds so great, but I'm going to tell you what it really means. Ends the possibility that taxpayers will be asked to write a check to bail out financial firms that threaten the economy by creating safe ways to liquidate failed firms, imposing tough new capital and leverage requirements that make it undesirable to get too big, updating the Fed's authority to allow system-wide support but no longer prop up individual firms, establishing rigorous standards and supervision to protect the economy and American consumers, investors, and businesses. So we're going we're gonna to fix this stuff where we're bailing out institutions. In fact, if we dig deeper into the summary, down into that section about ending too big to fail, let me read a little bit more to you. Okay, this is under too big to fail, okay? Uh, in the summary, this is prepared by Dodd, best I can tell. So this is not... This is not like some kind of slanderous like take on the bill. Like we often hear this stuff, you know, that the, the Food Modernization Act, which sucks and stinks, is going to prevent you from planting tomatoes in your backyard. Absolute nonsense. Folks, this is from the legislation. This is from the government themselves. Uh, in fact, I've got it on banking.senate.gov is where I have this document from. Put a link to it so you can read the whole thing. But this is called Funeral Plans. Requires large, complex companies to periodically submit plans for their rapid and orderly shutdown should the company go under. 
should the company go under. Companies will be hit with higher capital requirements and restrictions on growth and activity as well as divestment. If they fail to submit acceptable plans, plans will help regulators understand the structure of the companies they oversee and serve as a roadmap for shutting them down if the company fails. Significant costs for failing to produce a credible plan creates incentives for firms to rationalize structures or operations that cannot be unwound easily. Then the next segment is orderly shutdown. Creates an orderly liquidation mechanism for the FDIC to unwind failing, uh, failing systematically significant companies. Shareholders and unsecured creditors will bear losses and management will be removed. Next one. Liquidation procedure requires the Treasury, the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, and the Federal Reserve to all agree to put a company into an orderly liquidation process. A panel of three bankruptcy judges must convene and agree within 24 hours that the company is insolvent. It doesn't actually prevent anybody from bailing a big company out, though. It makes an allowance, it makes a way to dissolve a company, to liquidate it. We already have that. Been around for a long time. It's called bankruptcy. All the crap I just read you basically says that large firms will now have to have a bankruptcy program and the federal government will have the ability to force them into it, not that they don't already have this ability through the legal process, but they will have an enhanced ability and greater oversight and ability to pull the trigger and force them into bankruptcy faster. Now let's examine a couple of things about this before we start to look at the positives of it if we if we allow ourselves to be lulled into this this nonsense of government speak here. First of all, remember the biggest bailouts came to who? Who were the people that were most angry at? You tell me if I'm wrong. Citigroup, Goldman Sachs, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac. Four biggest expenses that we had. Four biggest expenses. All four are exempt from this legislation. All four are not covered by this legislation. And every big institution out there is currently running their lobbyists in. You heard from the other article, again from the Huffington Post. Not exactly anti-Obama world, right? Sending to create their own loopholes. Who's going to be left out? Small banks. Small banks. Small, large financial services corporations. When I say small, $50 billion and under. You know, I mean, this is, this is, or $50 billion and up is going to be the big target. There's more information in here that'll say that. In fact, cost of financial firms, not taxpayers. Another sounds great. Charges the largest financial firms $50 billion for an upfront fund built over time that will be used if needed for any liquidation. So what they're saying is the banks will have to pay the government money, and all the banks will put money into the government, a little fund, and that way when we have to liquidate somebody, we can liquidate $50 billion worth of problems funded by the banks. Where do the banks get their money, folks? We already talked about this today. From the Federal Reserve, who prints it and loans it to them at interest, who they are members of, that they've artificially suppressed the rates. $50 billion into this, that's just $50 billion more debt to the United States. And the banks that have to pay it are still going to put it on their balance sheets, and they're going to still say we need to raise costs uh, or cut costs to do this. So how do you do that? Well, we raise our fees. All passed on to the consumer. This is complete crap. I'm not going to go any further into this uh, legislation today, but I will put the summary up so you can read it, because one thing we keep hearing is how important it is that we pass this thing, but I don't hear a lot of people in the media that are either for it or against it even really talking about what's in it. might be good if you took some time today and read this 11-page thing for yourself and see what's being proposed and make your own determinations about what it means. But remember when you read it, even when something sounds good, the biggest entities that cause the biggest problems are exempted from the legislation. That's a loophole that shall not be closed. The biggest offenders, City and Goldman, are publicly endorsing this. So do you really think it's a crackdown on Wall Street? Or do you think what it does is it gives more power to the Federal Reserve, which is made up by the biggest banks in the world and the federal government to look at an entity and determine that that entity is nearing insolvency and take it over faster, easier, and quicker. And use some of the money from the firm itself to execute a termination policy. They call it a funeral plan. That's Chris Dodd's words, not mine. This is the economic shell game I was talking about from the beginning. Everything gets moved around, you get confused, and you're told it's for your own good, and it's all funded out of your pockets. 
Now, as we move into the, you know, further into the world of double speak nonsense and incongruency, let's talk about a statement that Jack Spirigo's been telling you for almost two years now. I've got on this air, on the air here for, for, for two years. It will be official in June. So we're a month and a half away from that. And I've said one thing to you over and over again. You probably got sick of hearing it from me. I've said debt is cancer. The debt eats away at the underlying fabric of whatever entity is deeply in debt. It makes that entity look better for a short period of time, and eventually it destroys from underneath. And just like cancer, that guy who's 45 years old and seems to be so much financially better off than his neighbor, when he's 55 and nearing retirement, is completely broke, has no assets, and the other guy that's debt-free that looked like he was in a lot worse shape is in a lot better shape because he didn't have that cancer. I've talked about it over and over again. You know who says debt is cancer now? President Barack Obama. Debt like cancer. This is on Bloomberg Business Week, uh, April 28, 2010, just a, a few days ago. Uh, debt like cancer addressed by Obama Commission on U.S. debt. President Barack Obama's debt commission started grappling with how to reduce the United States government's red ink in the first series of meetings aimed at producing a plan sent to Congress. The panel's three-hour meeting yesterday produced little disagreement over the dimensions of the fiscal challenge. Underscored by testimony from the Federal Reserve Chairman Ben S. Bernanke, great guy, right, and White House Budget Director Peter Orzak, the potential for the nation's debt eventually uh, precipitating economic crisis. So now what they're saying is, uh, we did everything we could, the economy's getting better, but yeah, this debt thing, this could be a real problem in the future. Geniuses, right? The challenge facing the panel was devising a plan proposing hundreds of billions in tax increases and spending cuts that can get backing from at least 14 of its 18 members. The number needed to forward any plan to Capitol Hill and then win support in Congress. Let me read that again. Well, let me remind you of something our Ask Clown president uh, said before he was a president when he was running for Ask Clown president. No one making less than $250,000 a year will see a tax increase. Now let me read you what this panel has to do. The challenge facing the panel is devising a plan proposing hundreds of billions in tax increases and spending cuts. We'll give you more and you'll pay less. This says you'll pay more and you'll get less. Which, to be fair, is the only way to fix this problem. I, this, Let me read this to you again. This debt is like a cancer. It's a cancer that's going to destroy our country from within, said Erskine Bowles, White House Chief of Staff under former President Bill Clinton and the panel's cold chairman. The problem is easy to agree on. What's really hard is a solution. No crap. Well, I won't keep reading it to you, but remember, you will not pay any higher taxes according to President Obama. This is another article from the Dallas News on this same thing. I'm reading a part of it from the middle again. I'll put a link to the entire article. Um, let me read, starting at this paragraph, if we stay on a path towards debt that's 400% of the GDP of the country, at some point there'll be a dollar crisis, said Senate Budget Chairman Kent Conrad. Duh. I think we've been saying that for a while there, Mr. Conrad. Adding that the Congressional Budget Office projects worsening ratios on the horizon. The dollar will collapse. Interest rates will skyrocket. Economic growth will be badly impaired. That's an understatement there, buddy. The commissioners, ten Democrats and eight Republicans, met privately with Obama before convening at the White House Conference Center. The president blamed, listen to this, decades of bad habits in Washington for the debt problem uh, insisted that he won't rule out any options before the commission reports back in December after the midterm elections. So what's going on here? It's the president reneging on his promise to not raise taxes. It's the president who came out in his debates with John McCain and said, we can fund all of this, this crap, this pork, it's not really that big a deal, and we, we can cut taxes for lower income people, and, and everything will be super, and everything will be wonderful, and we can do health care, and we can afford it all, and stop saying America can't, because yes, we can. And now what they're saying is, um, uh, 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 no, we can't. So here's, here's the problem. When you have a president coming out endorsing a statement like debt is cancer, you want to look for some congruency. You want to look for some integrity. In other words, if I got on this show for the past two years now and said to you, debt is cancer, get out of debt, and you asked me, Jack, how many credit cards do you use every day? And I said, loads of them. And you said, Jack, how much credit card debt do you have now? And I said, loads of it. And if you said, Jack, how are you working on paying that off? And I said, I'm not. I'm not worried about it. Uh, uh, I'm cutting my spending a little bit, but the underlying debt is there. And 
if right in the middle of saying it, I had just spent a trillion dollars on credit cards, how would you feel about my advice? How would you feel about my concurrency? Would I have any credibility with you on the subject? And odds are that I would not because you're an intelligent human being. And you would say, this guy says one thing and he does another. So Obama just ran up a trillion extra dollars in the deficit this year, last year. He spent more money in his first year than any president's ever spent in four years. He set up a plan that's going to increase the deficit in the United States over the next decade by $10 trillion. Then he comes out through his commission and says, that is cancer, we need to do something about it, and I'm calling on you, America, to sacrifice. We're going to have to cut government services, and we're going to have to raise taxes. I won't rule anything out. The commission will get back to me, and we'll all chat about it when... After the midterm elections. They don't want to really talk about this right now. It's just too big a thing. I think the bigger thing to understand here is what's being said by a Democratic uh, member of the Senate right now. And what I've been forecasting is the false recovery, and that is coming. It is starting to happen right now. We're starting to see the green shoots bearing fruit. We're seeing the propaganda and, and everything else. But what did the senator just say? We stay on a path towards a debt that's 400% of the gross domestic product of the country. At some point, there will be a dollar crisis, said Senate Budget Chairman uh, Kent Conrad, Democrat in North Dakota, adding that Congressional Budget Office projects worsening ratios on the horizon. The dollar will collapse. Interest rates will skyrocket. Economic growth will be badly impaired. That's not Ron Paul. Sounds like him. It's a Democratic senator from North Dakota. That's supposed to be in the tank for Barack Obama. And here he is, because now he's sounding the alarm saying, yeah, we got to do something about this. So all those promises that you were made, that your taxes wouldn't go up, because where do you think they're going to get these billions of dollars in tax increases? Do you think they're going to take it all from the rich people? Do you think the rich people are going to give up their money? Or do you think that whenever we do tax the rich people, they're going to pass the expenses on to you? Do you think that the government will just print more money for them since they control the printing presses through the Federal Reserve? And do you think you're going to be left holding the short end of the stick? And do you think that in the end, the dollar is going to collapse anyway? Because we don't have enough money. I want you to understand that. The debt is so bad now. If we took all of everybody's money, we couldn't pay it back. Which makes perfect sense. Why? Because all the money is debt. And all the money has interest. And the only place to get more money is to buy borrowing it into existence, which would add more interest. We're done. It's endgame. There is probably one more hoorah. I've been saying it for a long time. Who knows how long they can make this nonsense work. I could be wrong. Not that there's going to be one more hoorah. There could be two or three. I don't know. I'm forecasting one right now. I think that we're about to go off the edge of a cliff, but we're about to start up the band one more time. And the types of things that I'm talking about today are how they're going to pull it off. Restore confidence in the sheeple that everything is super because the TARP money is being paid back. The government bailout might not cost us any money at all. I happened to be going to the nursery recently to pick up some plants, and I heard Michael Medved on the radio, so I listened to him for a while. Conservative guy. He had a guy on, and they were talking about how the, the bailout, the TARP bailout, may end up not costing the United States government or the people or the taxpayers one thin dime. In fact, it might end up being profitable, and they were lauding, of course, how great it was that George Bush loaned the money and put it out and did that bailout. So now that it's working in their eyes, we give credit to George Bush for doing it. And, of course, the liberal media will give credit to Barack Obama for making it happen. So one guy was the pitcher that started the game, and the other guy's the pitcher that closed the game, the closer. And both, both fans of each pitcher is going to claim their pitcher is the one that really did it. But what, what has really happened here? We haven't been profitable by anything. They've moved the money around. They've refinanced the debt from the same lender. And then they said they paid the debt back. That would be like going, hey, you know what, guys, I paid off my credit cards. Well, how'd you do it? I went to Citigroup, who held the credit card, and I borrowed money from them in the form of cash, and I converted that to a cash consumer loan with a lower interest rate, and then I took the money and paid off my credit card, so my debt's been settled. I just changed the, 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 the pot holding the debt, and I got the money from the same source. At least if I did that, I would have got the money from the bank. In this case, the bank, or the giant corporation, got the money from you, got more money from you, used your money to pay back your own money, kept the rest of the money and said, hey, look, we made good five years early with interest. 
This is the nonsense going on today, folks. And what it, does it tell us? What is the big thing that we take away from all of this? Nothing has changed. All the political wrangling, all, oh, it's terrible that Obama's president was much better before he was president, and look what he's doing. He's doing a lot of really bad things. He's doing the same kind of crap that George Bush did. He's doing the same kind of crap that Bill Clinton did. He's doing the same kind of crap that Bush the first did. Nothing has changed. It's business as usual. Special interests are controlling everything. Money's moved from one bucket to another. And we have the fox watching the hen house in the form of the Federal Reserve that's going to be part of all this new great control and regulation. It's a giant monopoly board. And you're not even Baltic Avenue on the monopoly board. You're not even on the board. You're that little piece in the center where every once in a while you draw a card and the players just get some money for nothing. That's you. That's you. You're the source of the money. You're not even playing the game. So opt out of the game. The reason I do shows like this is so you don't get sucked into the hoopla and the BS. You've got to think for yourself. You've got to be independent. You've got to safeguard and protect yourself. This economy, whether it's five years from now, which is kind of the timeline I'm thinking right now, based on what I know at the present time, or 10 years, or 15 years, or 20, or two, if people like Gerald Salenti are right, is doomed. We've done this for too long. We've played with it for too long. We've played the shuffle game and the shell game for too long. Sooner or later... Every game of three-card Monty has to end. Sooner or later, the people that are getting scammed by the game figure out there's no way to win. And when they stop playing the game, the criminals end up holding the bag. They get all the money, but they have to go somewhere else to restart the game. They can't do it on that little strip of, the little strip of boardwalk anymore. Because everybody there's passed the word, hey, these guys are doing something wrong here. You put money in, no matter what you do, even when you think you're winning, in the end you lose, you'll never get your money back. It's a scam. And the one guy that we saw won, we saw him talking to those guys behind the booths. They're in it together. And all the people walking down the boardwalk, the guys going, hey, come on, it's easy, find the queen. Right? All the people go, no, can't do it anymore. That's what will happen in this country. And when it does, we'll create our own worst nightmare, and we'll have no choice. The people of this country will stop spending money. More than they did in the last one. That's really what's going to put the brakes on the next boom. The people in this country are going to look at everything and go, you know what? This is really bad this time. And it's really coming this time. And it really hit us in the face. And a lot of them are going to be stupid. And they're not going to put the brakes on. But the smart people, the ones that wake up, 10% of the population will say, whoa, no more. And they're going to follow modern survival philosophy, even if they don't call it that. Even if they don't call themselves survivalists or homesteaders. Even if they don't use words like self-reliance and self-sufficiency. It'll be led into that, because it's normal for a human being to preserve that which is important to him. And as we look at everything going into an abyss and losing so much, people will say there's a certain amount of this that will be lost no matter what. I will lose a lot. What's most important to me? And you have to ask yourself, is it going to be another trip to the movie theater on a credit card? Is it going to be another home improvement loan to improve a house that's not going to sell for what it's worth anyway? Or is it going to be the ability to make sure that there's a roof over the head of my children, that my children are able to eat, that we don't go hungry, that we don't starve, and that we have the things that we need? Which one do you think is going to win out in the end? And for those that don't wake up to that, it's a bad winner there, Mr. Grasshopper. That's what's coming. The ant and the grasshopper like it's never been seen before. In the history of the modern world, at least. There's some things that happened thousands of years ago that we could look at today and learn a lot from. And all of this crap that's going on has been done before. It was done in Greece. It's what brought down the Roman Empire. It's happened over and over and over again. And it is an arrogant people that think they can do the th same things that have destroyed empires before and do them today. And because we could do them a little bit better and make them last a little bit longer, not have them fail for us too. But there is an answer. Because this country won't go quietly into that good night. We won't just fall apart into an abysmal nothingness. We won't just go away. 
There may be riots in certain places. There may be problems in certain places. There may be places you really don't want to be. But the reality is, the people of this nation haven't forgot who we really are. We've gone into a slumber, but more and more of us are waking up. And we will unite, and we will work very hard to fix this crap in the end. And I'll tell you the solution to the debt. The solution to the debt is we get rid of the Federal Reserve. And we rebase the currency on the assets the country actually holds in the form of commodities. Not just gold and silver, but the overall value of who and what we are. And things that are material and concrete. And we revalue the currency. And all the money that we supposedly owe to the Federal Reserve, we send them packing and they don't get it. We tell them that the ride's over. And that could be a very, very dark day. But it may be the only thing that leads to light on the other side of it. And sooner or later, it is going to happen. Because sooner or later, they're not going to be able to fix their own messes anymore. They'll make this new ride even better than before. They'll load the sheeple back to sleep. All I'm saying is don't go with them. And from now on, when you hear anybody spouting off about how things are better and how this is working and how that's working and how, hey, these people paid their money back with interest or whatever, remember, there's always another story. And I'm not telling you to doubt everything. I'm telling you to question everything and dig deeper and get the real facts on things before you make it part of what you truly believe and what you base your decisions on. Do that, and you'll really start to gain control over your own choices and your own decisions. There's a lot of things that you can do right now. But the fundamentals that we talk about every day, making sure you have some food set aside for hard times, making sure you're prepared for disasters and disorder, making sure that those things are a part of your everyday life are the most important things that you can do right now. Because this kind of nonsense, folks, you know where it leads. It can look really good, but it's just like the last stock market crash. If you knew what was going on underneath it, you weren't surprised when it crashed. Maybe you were paralyzed with, with greed or fear, and you took the beating you didn't have to. But you really, really knew. Because when you see the type of shenanigans going on that were going on, you know they can only result in disaster. Well, what I want you to see here is nothing's changed. In fact, things are worse. All we've done is increase our debt and decrease our value. And then supposedly do better. Nothing different than going out and giving a bum an Amex card with a million-dollar credit limit on it. The next day, he looks a lot better. He's in a nice suit of clothes. He's eating well. But when the bill comes, he can't pay it because he has no money in the first place. All he can do is take out another loan to pay back the lender. Well, sooner or later, the lender gets wise to this and says, you can't borrow all the money to pay us back anymore. I guess unless you're the government or unless you're General Motors. And with that thought, I'm going to go ahead and wrap up today. Remember, keep asking questions and keep seeking the truth. This has been Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast. Helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough. Or you can dream, and you can holler, it really doesn't matter, cause it all gets spent.